You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 3 and 4 as we continue our series this morning. You know, that went over like a lead balloon. It did. I was hoping for more. I, re- I, really, I really was too. You didn't even really laugh and you didn't know I was going to do it. No, well, no, I, I, was, I was listening. I was, I and that means I'm not as popular out there on social media as I thought I was. I really thought I was somebody. I guess I'm nobody. Now I know what it feels like. <laughs> what is social media? I'm trying to get off social media, so I'm doing everything I can. Because it's not quite so social anymore. It's just it? a brutal battleground. It's a brutal battleground. All right. Well, some of us need a place to fight. You know, people can be rude, can't they? Yes. <clears throat> people that don't follow their pastor on Facebook right. can, be, can be rude. How dare they? You know, but there's nothing like going into an airport to bring the rude out, right? (laughs) I can still remember the day when you just walked in and just went to the gate. You didn't have to get naked or anything, you know? And you just went to the gate. And so comparing uh, that to today, I mean, flying is very, it's a stressful situation, isn't it? And oftentimes it brings out the worst in other people, not me. One of my favorite stories is a dude that, was at the airport, he got there late, which is, you know, what oftentimes happens. And there was a long line at the ticket counter and he didn't have a ticket, but he had to get to Houston. He knew he was gonna miss his plane, so he just cut in line. He just went right up to the ticket counter and to the ticket agent and said, I have got to get to Houston. I cannot wait in this line. I need a ticket to Houston or I'm gonna miss my flight. And she said, well, sir, I'm, I'm sorry. We'll do everything we can to accommodate you, but you have to wait in line. And he said, I can't wait in line. He said, do you know who I am? And without hesitating, she picked up the microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, I have a man here who doesn't know who he is. If there is anyone here who can help him figure out who he is, would you please step forward? That woman should have gotten a raise. She should have. Kathy Christensen used to be a ticket agent for an airline, and I can see Kathy uh, doing something like that. 100%. In Exodus chapter 3, as we come into this text that we've been in now for three weeks, Moses didn't really know who he was at this particular time in life. And what we're saying is that Moses was in an identity crisis as we often find ourselves in. So we've titled this series of messages, uh, Identity Crisis. And the premise of this text, chapter three and four of Exodus, and what we're saying is that you can never really know who you are until you really understand who God is. Because we are identified in him. And if we don't even understand who he is, how can we possibly know who we are? So for the first two weeks, we talked about how God was revealing himself to Moses in chapter three of Exodus, this famous burning bush experience where God speaks to him out of the bush. And God revealed himself in three words that we use to help you understand who God is. First of all, he is omnipotent. In other words, there's nothing that he cannot do. He's omniscient. There is nothing he does not know, and he is omnipresent. There is no place that he cannot be. You sound really smart saying those words. I know. Those are, really, those are college words. Those are big words. Because uh, I'm, I'm educated. Right. 
And I, I, I've learned those. And you can, you can impress your friends if you'll learn those words. Next time, say, well, who do you think God is? Say, well, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. Anything else you want to know? And then if you can define those terms, well, then you're, you're even better. So God then comes to Pharaoh in this experience, I mean, to Moses, and he says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go because the Hebrew people had been in bondage in Egypt for four centuries, and Moses resisted. Moses immediately begins to resist this call of God, and he asks this all-important question, who am I? Now, we often ask that question, and we have reasons for asking it when we do. Moses certainly had reasons for asking the who am I question. Because you see, Moses ultimately felt what we often feel, is that we are not up to the task. That we are not qualified to do what we sense we should do as Christ's followers. And so basically, we feel insecure. And Moses felt insecure. When the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob came to him with this commission, Moses felt insecure or even disqualified, if you will, to answer the call of God. And insecurity always has its reasons, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. we, we all have our reasons for our insecurity. Another one of my favorite stories that I have a a handful of favorite stories, and I can't tell all of them, but, but I can tell this one, is a, 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 a husband and wife. The wife loved Patrick Swayze. Now, this might be a little bit dated for some of you younger ones, but those of you that are over 40, you remember being in love with Patrick Swayze, don't you? Okay, yeah. And see, it's a common thing, guys. That's why we're all insecure, because our wives are in love with Patrick Swayze. I don't know who, who would be the dude for your generation. Oh, I... Anyway, there's too many. Anyway, it made him incredibly insecure. And so one time he said to her, because every time, you know, Swayze was on, you know, she would just swoon and get these doe eyes and all that kind of stuff. And, and he one time said to her, he said, okay, let me ask you a question. If you take away all of his money, you take away his good looks, you take away his muscles, you take away his talent, what would you have left? She said, I'd have you. <laughs> so... That husband had a lot of reasons for his insecurity. That would make a guy feel insecure, wouldn't it? Okay? So Moses also had his reasons for the insecurity that we see revealed in our text. And in the next three weeks, starting today, we're going to be talking about Moses' insecurity. The first two weeks, we talked about who God was. Now, we're turning to the question, who am I? And to try to help ourselves understand why Moses was insecure. And I think what you're going to find as we go along, that Moses was no different than us. So let me start off by giving you a simple definition of insecurity. And this would, would fit with Moses perfectly. Insecurity is that gap between what you feel you should be and what you feel you actually are. Mm. Our insecurity, that's an insecurity gap. Insecurity is that gap between what you feel you should be and what you feel that you actually are. And that gap is your insecurity gap. Your, that space is your insecurity space. Now, for some it may be this, for some it may be this, for some it may be this, but we all have an insecurity gap. And God, in his answer to Moses' insecurity, gives him an answer for each and every one of these parts of his insecurity gap. And the first one is one that most of us can identify with here, Moses felt insecure because of his past. Moses 
had a past. We say around here sometimes, we've all got a past. Some of us have a past. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, Moses, you could say, had a past, okay? And so when God said to Moses, <clears throat> back on the backside of Midian, just being a shepherd there, running from, as a, as a fugitive, when God said to Moses, I want, this is what I have for you to do. I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to command the most powerful man that you know to let all of his free labor that Egypt has had for four centuries, these slaves, these Hebrew people, to let all of them go, and I want you to lead them out. And Moses answered immediately, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Now, in essence, what Moses is admitting or what he is confessing is, I am not qualified. I'm not qualified to do what you're telling me to do. I'm not qualified to go to Pharaoh. Now, that was in chapter 3. Then you come to chapter 4, the very first verse, and he continues on. He says, what if they won't listen? Now, he's not talking about Pharaoh. Now, he's talking about the Hebrew people because he's got to not only tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh's supposed to let him go. He's got to tell the Hebrew people they got to follow him out. So he has to speak to both. Mm -hmm. And he knows that, and he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Okay, who am I to speak to him? But then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, what if they, the Hebrew people, will not listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So I am neither qualified to go to Pharaoh, nor am I qualified to go to your people, and actually my people, because Moses was a Hebrew. What Moses basically is saying is, I am not believable. If I go to these people and say, you have appeared to me and told me to lead them out, they will not believe me. I am not qualified. I am insecure in doing this because I don't believe that they have any reason at all to listen to me. Now, why did Moses feel that way? We're not specifically told in the text, but it's not difficult to figure out if you just look at the text and you understand the history coming up to chapter 3 and chapter 4. Why wouldn't they believe Moses? Why does he feel that they wouldn't not only believe him, but they wouldn't hear him? Because if you put the emphasis on him, you're beginning to get the idea. Why wouldn't they believe him? In other words, him of all people, why would they not believe him? Because Moses had a past, and they knew of his past. They knew he had been born one of them as a Hebrew, but then they knew early on he was raised as an Egyptian in royal splendor, and then he had killed an Egyptian to protect a Hebrew, so he was now on the run from Egypt, and that's why he was on the backside of Midian. Now he shows up back with the Hebrew people claiming that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to him and spoke to him to deliver them. You can begin to see why he might feel a little insecure about this task. It's like, yeah, right, Moses. We're not sure what game you're playing, but we ain't playing it with you. 
You see, Moses felt that his past disqualified him. Hear this, folks, because this is real. Moses felt like his past disqualified him from going as one who is sent from God. He felt that he was disqualified from from speaking for God. He He felt that he was disqualified from being used by God. Everything about this, Moses was insecure about, where he felt that his past disqualified him from it. His insecurity uh, gap began with his past. Now, I have a question. Is there anybody here who's ever felt that way? Nope. (laughs) That's probably true. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) I know better than that. No, seriously. Has anyone here ever felt that, that you look at the, 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 the New Testament, you look at the commission to go and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to command. You look at the scripture, you shall receive the Holy Spirit and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. You hear what the scripture says and you know that you're in Christ, but that's got to apply to somebody else because where I've come from, has disqualified me. To speak with confidence and to speak with authority and to live with confidence as a Christ follower and to live with authority as a Christ follower. You see, my past is going to get in my way. Now, I want to I I give you this. There are three ways, basic ways, that you can respond to your past. One way you can respond to your past is you can power up about it. And what I mean by that is that you can become defensive about your past, that you can be ashamed of your past, that you can want to hide your past and want to cover up your past. And then rather than revealing really where you come from, then you can put up this front that looks like you're, you know, that you're something else and that you've always been something else and you never were that. And, and you can, so you can do that. And that's, that's a huge problem, isn't it? That's a huge problem. We'll talk about why that's a problem here in a moment. Or on the other side, sometimes people who have a past that they feel disqualifies them, not rather than hiding it, they just, what they do is they just become passive. They just don't talk about it. They just back off, stand along the wall, sit on the back row. Oh, oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) One-legged man's on the back row. He's as busy as a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. That's pretty busy. Can I say that in church? Just I just did. did. I just did. You, you can become did. passive about it. You can say, I'm just going to, I'm going to just love Jesus and I'm going to die and go to heaven, but I'm going to stay out of the action. Okay. I'm just going to sit back and be quiet and, and I'm going to relegate myself to the grandstands and I'm just going to be this great spectator as the rest of the people that are qualified to go in his name do so. And I'll cheer them on, but for the most part, I'm just going to Stay off the field. That's what Moses wanted to do. That's why he was on the backside of Midian keeping his father-in-law's sheep. He was being passive. He was no longer involved in all that mess that was going on back there. He would just escaped it. Somebody else is going to have to deal with this mess. And God comes to Moses and says, no, Moses, I have chosen you to deal with this mess. And Moses said, who am I? The reason I'm here is because I'm not qualified. So you can power up about it. You can choose, I'm just going to become passive. I'm going to be a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God because of all of the things that I did before. Or you can press through it. You can say, 
God, if you can use me, I make myself available to you. I love what Paul says in the, to the Corinthian church, and they personified this. He said, you know, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I love that. He has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong. I like the translation. He's chosen the idiots <laughs> to go to the smart. And confound them. And confound them. Yeah. Are you getting this? Our God loves to use people like you and me that really have a past. That doesn't mean that he can't use and he doesn't enjoy using those who don't have that sordid kind of period in their life before they came to Christ or maybe for a period of time after they came to Christ before they repented of it that many of us use as an excuse to become passive and to sit back on the sidelines. And you know, one of the things that I love to say to people is your past does not disqualify you, it qualifies you. That's right. Because if you have a past and your past has been redeemed, you have a message of the changing power of God. Don't sit on that. See, our very, as we say around here a lot, our very malady is what can become our ministry. And if we are ashamed of that malady that brought us to that place of brokenness and brought us to that place of even admitting our need for Christ, if we do not glory in that malady, then it can never become our ministry. And so many of us, like Moses, man, Moses had a story to tell, didn't he? I mean, he really did. And then as God demonstrated his power and authority through Moses, that's a great that's a strong word to those Hebrew people and to Pharaoh. Here is this guy. I know what his past is like. And he's doing this. And he's saying this without fear. You see, everyone has a past. Everyone that God has ever used had a past. In fact, if you really want to talk about it, each one, every one of us has exactly the same past. Mm -hmm. The scripture says that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. Every single one of us. In other words, our past, every one of us, we have, a, we have a like past. Our past stretches all the way back to Adam, our spiritual father in the garden. And when Adam sinned, the scripture says that we all sinned. We all became sinners. Now get this. We were all sinners before we committed sin. Think about that one. The fact that we are not perfect and that we commit sin is not what makes us sinners. We are born sinners. We are born dead in trespasses and sins. We are all born with a past. That's my past. That's his past. That's your past. That's every single one. That was Moses' past. So none of us, by that, that you can't have a past to be used of God, none of us are qualified to be used of God. And that's why he chooses to use us. Because when he uses us, and if we have a past, we can't take the glory for it. I, I've said this time many times. I'm so far off my notes, I don't even know where I am, but okay. <laughs> what was I going to say? I don't know. <laughs> Neither do your notes. <laughs> That's the reason we use notes, isn't it? <laughs> Son, it'll happen to you more and more as you get closer to my age. Believe me. There are a lot of things that'll happen to you more and more as you get closer to my age, but we won't talk about that yes, right sir. now. Yes, sir. <laughs> Is that on the notes? I didn't see that either. 
<laughs> Should we push this restart button? <laughs> We're going to get through this. Would you like me to take over? No, and, that's okay. And, and just do this no. part? Here's the, po- <laughs> Here's the point. None of us are deserving of being used of God. And if we were, we would take all the glory for it because we tend to want to do that anyway. And, and, I, and I've, I, here it is. It's the senior moment has passed, and I've come in back into myself. He's got it. I've said this for years. You know, He's back. I don't trust a man that hadn't been broken. That's right. People say, well, look at, look at the past that dude's lived. Oh, I trust him more than I do you. He's been broken. Yep. He doesn't have anything to hide. What are you hiding? Yep. I trust a man who has been broken. You can trust a man who has been broken. And we all need to be broken. So what does God do? Okay, so what does God do with this insecurity about our past? How does he handle our past? Okay, I'm going to pass the ball off to the guy that's got a better memory than I do. <laughs> Okay, so, so just to recap, I want to hit on a couple points from, from last week to bring us back up to speed. We're all disqualified by, uh, disqualified by our past. It's not up to us. And if you remember back a couple weeks ago, what we said was, it is God who sets the standard, right? He's the one that determines the way that we come to him. And so how does this unfold practically? First, he calls us to himself. I want you to think about Moses for a moment. He calls Moses to himself. Moses is out tending the sheep. And a bush catches on fire. It starts speaking to him, right? Moses has nothing to do. God calls him to himself. He tells him, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Mm -hmm. He determines how he even approaches him. And he still does that today. We talked about this that that time when we were were dealing with this a couple weeks ago, that it's not through uh, taking off your sandals. It's through the blood of Jesus. It's the only Mm -hmm. way that he calls us to himself. There are no other ways that we come to him. And by the way, it is only through the blood of Jesus. It is only through the blood of Jesus that we come to the Father. And, and I've never understood people in the church that, that, that argue this, that, that have an issue with this only way uh, message of the Scripture. If there were other ways to get to the Father, then Jesus' death would be totally unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It'd just be a waste of time. Why would God send his son to die if he could say, yeah, we don't need to do this. Just tell him <laughs> to go right. over there yeah. and Pray five times and face few, that direction. And everything will be deeds. Okay. Exactly. So he calls us to himself through Christ, only through Christ. The blood of Jesus is what brings forgiveness to this past that James is talking about. So that's covered now. No matter what you did, no matter how bad you were, no matter how dark it got, the blood of Jesus covers it all. Secondly, after he calls us to himself, he changes us. So he calls it, I want you to get this, he calls us to himself no matter how bad we were, but he loves us enough to not leave us that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So it doesn't matter where you come from, he'll call you. But he's not, he, he loves you enough to not leave you in that state. He's going to begin to change you. You receive a new nature in Christ, the scripture says. You're not upgraded. You don't turn over a new leaf. You receive a new life. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. So you are given a brand new nature, a brand new life in Christ, and then finally he commissions us. Now that he has qualified me, I didn't qualify myself, now that he has qualified me, it's time for me to serve him. So my past failures are no longer an excuse. I I have no reason to power up or be passive. Christ has forgiven that past, and he has changed me and now called me into his purpose. 
So listen, if you want to walk in the purpose of God, and I think that's where we're all headed here, right? That's what we all desire. You have to press through the doubt, the insecurity, whatever it is that's holding you back from your past. Now, consider God's answer to Moses' past here. Um, it's, it's not directly in the text, but, but Moses still has a past after this point, right? God calls him to him. He commissions him, go, you're to go to Egypt. You're going to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. All the free manual labor goes away. He's going to be really mad, but it doesn't matter. Tell him anyways. And so Moses is sent off. He still has a past. Nothing has changed, right? He's still hampered. He still has to deal with this. And so Moses says to him, look, the Hebrew people will never even believe that I have been sent by you. And I want you to check out God's response to Moses. This is Exodus 4, verses 2 through 5. It says, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But Yahweh said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. This is how you know Moses was likely an East Texas guy. <laughs> put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And God said that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared to you. So what is God doing here? What is he, what is he accomplishing here? He's doing something that only God himself can do. And no one else can throw it. If you can throw a staff down and turn it into a, a snake and then pick it back up and it turns back into a staff, raise your hand. I, I'd like to just, mm. out of a, right, no one. I think that's a zero percent. This is a supernatural sign that God is giving Moses. He's saying, hey, go. I know you're insecure. I know you have a past. I know you have doubts that they're never going to listen to you. Go and do this little trick in front of them and then see how they feel. Because <laughs> no one else can throw a stick on the ground and turn it into a snake. But God even has a second and third backup plan. He says, that won't work? Then try this. Take your cloak, put your hand in your cloak, pull your hand back out, it will be covered in leprosy. Then put your hand back in your cloak and pull it out, and it will be fully healed, fully clean. No one can do this. Again, supernatural sign. But he goes even further. He says, look, if they won't believe those two things, <laughs> then try this. Go to the Nile River, pull out some water in a basin, pour it on the ground, and behold, it will turn to blood when it hits the ground. So this is proof. God is setting Moses up with proof, with evidence. Evidence that, that convinces people that something has happened here. Moses, we should listen to Moses because he couldn't possibly do this on his own. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Well, that's great for Moses. <laughs> it's good for him. <laughs> but what about me? God hasn't given me that ability. If I had that kind of evidence, that kind of proof, Maybe I wouldn't have such a hard time with my past. Well, let me tell you, folks, God has not given you that kind of power. God has given you an even greater power. God has not given you signs from his spirit. He has given you his actual Holy Spirit. The moment you become born again in Christ, you remember last week we said, not only get the gifts of the spirit, you get the gift giver himself. The Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in your life, in your heart, you have a greater power than Moses ever had. I, I love to think about this. You know, when, when I teach the Old Testament especially, uh, we, we talk about guys like David, King David, a man after God's own heart. And, and, and we like sort of, I think, um, hype him up as if he's like this untouchable individual that we could never compare to. And certainly, I mean, David was used for incredible purposes. But here's the, the interesting thing. David, as a man after God's own heart, did not know the intimacy with the Father that we know. That's right. Because he didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
He didn't have true fellowship with the Father like we have true fellowship with the Father in Christ. See, you have, we have benefits that go well beyond these massive individuals in the Old Testament. David, Moses, Isaiah, the big prophets. None of them knew the Father like you can know the Father right now. Because none of them had the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within them. So, so what does this mean then? We have the greatest sign of all. It means we have no more excuses. <laughs> this is the most, the most compelling sign, the most compelling proof that God is at work in your life is the evidence of his work in your life. The change that comes from knowing Christ. And you say, okay, well, that's great, but, but, but how do I do this? How do I put my past to work? How do I make my malady my ministry? How do I lead with this? How do I lead with weakness? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Let me give you a few ways. They're very curious people. They are. They are. <laughs> they, always, they always ask the right question. They always ask the right question. <laughs> Number one, you confess it openly. You confess it openly. You stop hiding your past. You confess it. There are a couple of words, there's actually a few words in the Greek text that, that convey, that we translate as confess, but there are two overwhelmingly that we use more than any of them. The first one is homologeo. It's a Greek word that means literally to say the same thing or to speak in agreement. So whenever you confess something, you are, you are agreeing with something that is already true. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a, in a little while. But I want us to focus on this other word here for a moment because I think it better applies to what we're talking about. It's the, the word in James chapter 5 for confess. It's very similar to homologeo, except for it has a prefix on the beginning of it that changes it just a little bit. It's exomologeo. And it's a word that means openly speaking in agreement. There's an idea of uncovering here so that when you are confessing your past, when you are confessing openly the things that you have done in your past, you are, think about them, they are, they are hidden with some sort of veil. When you examalageo, you are pulling the veil off and opening, uncovering that past so that everybody may be able to see. We want to hide our sin, right? We want to keep it secret. And so to confess is to uncover that sin, lay it bare for the rest of the world to know. And, and this is important. I, as James, James touched on it a minute ago, but I want to really dig in here. Your past serves a crucial role in your walk with Jesus. It has a purpose. It has a purpose. Let me give you a truth. The purpose of your past is to prove the power of God. The purpose of your past is to prove the power of God. In other words, the worse your past is, the more proof of the power of God there is. Because if he can change a monster like you, then he can change anybody. If he can change a monster like Paul or Moses, people who have either committed murder or at least been in approval of it, then he can change anyone. Amen? Let me give you another truth, because I think this is another really important, and I want you to wrestle with this this morning, because there are two choices. I told you last week that, that you, you don't get to decide whether or not life is, is difficult, but you can choose which difficult you embrace. Well, here's another one of these choices that we have in life. This is sort of a life principle. You can either serve your past, or your past can serve you. You can either serve your past or your past can serve you. If you do not push through your, pa your past, like James said, if you either, if you either power up every, every time someone talks about it or you just remain passive and kind of lay in the background, you will always be a servant of your past and mm -hmm. trying to keep it hidden. You will always be a slave to it. 
You will always serve it. But if you will press through, your past actually becomes your greatest asset. It begins to serve you because it becomes a testimony of the changing power of God in your life. It proves the power of God in your Tiffany, life. Tiffany, my daughter gave me a hat for Christmas. She does all these military exercises with these ex-special ops guys. And I mean, they do 50-mile hikes and live fires. She got me this hat from Go Ruck. And, and one of the patches on the front says, embrace the suck. That's right. Embrace the suck. If your past sucks, embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Go straight into it. Now, some will say, uh, you know, I, I'm, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to people in the church that have been around for, for a little while, members of the church that we feel like have a, a compelling past that, that would be really operative in leading either a freedom group or, or, or some sort of service role. And, and some people will say to us, well, you know, I'm, I'm just still, I'm still working on so many things in my life. I'm, I'm not qualified yet. I'm not qualified yet. You've got to be exactly like Jesus to be qualified. Right, yeah. Well, you're going to be dead before that happens, yeah. right? So it, the exact opposite is actually true. If you will lead with your, your weakness and begin ministering to other people as you are working through that, you will see incredible work done in your life through the power of his spirit. Because here's the deal. You're not the only one struggling with what you're struggling. I want you to think right now about like your greatest malady in your life, the thing that you're, you're working through that maybe you haven't told anybody yet or you're on the fence about. You are not the only one struggling with that. Like, I want you to say that out loud. You don't have to say what it is, but just everyone say, I'm not the only one struggling with that. <laughs> oh, I heard that. Yeah, I heard not. that. I know something about you. You're not the only one struggling with it. You're not the only one who has doubts. You're not the only one who has a past that you feel like is, is unlovable or, or shame-filled or whatever. And here's the thing. Every time you share that past... You bring hope to someone else who's not quite ready yet to share their own. Because what they do is they hear you talk about it and they go, well, hold on a minute. That's what I'm going through. And, and if they're going through it and they're doing this well, then maybe it's time for me to start talking about it as well. No one's run away from them. They're still loved and accepted. Maybe I can be loved and accepted as well. And by the way, um, let me clarify something about your past. Here's what I don't mean about your past. I don't mean everything that happened before Jesus. <laughs> your past could be yesterday. Your past might be this morning on the that, car ride to church. Before Jesus stuff is easier to talk yeah, about. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> now that you're a Christian, you have no excuse. That's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You, are, you will always wrestle. It's why Paul, listen, if Paul can say... Why do I do the do things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do? And we're talking about Paul. We're talking about like, like the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then like Paul, right? <laughs> None of us are above Paul. And Paul is saying these things. This is anything from before right now is your past. You don't just stop magically failing. You're always going to have rough edges until Jesus comes back. So you know what that means? You will always be confessing your sin. You will always be confessing openly, but not only openly, but often. So how does this work? Let me give you three directions you can confess, and then I will turn it back over to James. First of all, you confess it inwardly. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's anything hurt or any hurtful way inside of me, and lead me in the everlasting way. This is a daily activity. Father, search my heart. Reveal to me things that I need to confess, that I need to acknowledge. You can't confess something if you haven't acknowledged it inwardly. 
So you confess it inwardly, you confess it upwardly. So remember, I, I, I used that first Greek term that I said I'd come back to, homologeo. It means to speak the same or speak agreement. So that means that, here's what that means. Confession is not making God aware of something in your past. You're not making God aware of anything. God is very aware of everything that has happened in your life. You're simply coming to him and coming into agreement with him. I like to think, you know, when I confess sin to God, I like to imagine him sitting there going, well, look who finally decided to show <laughs> it's up. It's about time. It's about time. <clears throat> I've been waiting a very long time for you to come to me. Rather than, ooh, I can't believe you did that. Right, right. So we confess it inwardly, we acknowledge it. Upwardly, we agree with God, and then we confess it outwardly. James 5, 16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We love to skip this one, don't we? Mm. I'm fine with acknowledging my sin. I'm fine with letting God know. I don't want to tell anybody else. And it's interesting that of all the verses that talk about confession, this is the only one that has healing attached to it. And it's the one that deals with confessing to other people. It's why the 12 steps include it. We became ready to admit to God, myself, and to one other person the exact nature of our wrongs. It's why our vision statement at City on a Hill, the first part of it, is making church a safe place for people to let go of their secrets. Mm. The church must be a safe place. We can preach all day long about confess it openly, confess it inwardly and upwardly and outwardly, and it'll sound like a great sermon, but if we haven't made a safe place in the church for you to accomplish that, you'll never do it. I heard a story recently from, from one of our members of a person that she knows that goes to another church. He was an elder in another church that had been struggling with pornography. And he came to the elder body and the pastors, and he confessed. He didn't get caught. He confessed, this is a sin I'm struggling with. I'm, I need help. And they asked him to leave the church. <laughs> Not just like step down. Like I can understand that. Like step down for eldership for a while and, and work on this, get into the process. No, we don't, we don't want you coming here anymore. They recommended that he come over here. <laughs> yeah. Probably. I'm, I'm just kidding. Probably. I'm just kidding. Go over there with a bunch of sickos over at City on a Hill. There's, there's, no, there's no way people will ever embrace confession in an, an unsafe environment like that. No. So let me sum this up for you. When I confess it inwardly, it strips my, it strips my sin of its pretense. In other words, I, I, I'm not pretending nothing is wrong anymore. I'm willing to acknowledge my past. When I confess it upwardly, it strips my sin of its penalty. I'm coming into agreement with God. I, I'm, I'm walking now in the forgiveness that God promises me through Christ. And then when I confess it outwardly, it strips my sin of its power. I no longer live in fear. The cat's out of the bag. I got nothing else to lose, right? You know all my ugly warts and, and, and my past is exposed and I'm free to walk in that. So we confess it openly, that's the first thing. Secondly, we cover it with forgiveness. You know, I never began to feel disqualified to fulfill my specific call, which for me was specifically God's call to ministry. He gives us all a different call. Mine, almost immediately when I came to Christ at the age of 18, was that sense of, of that. I never questioned that my past disqualified me from that until I went to a Christian college campus <laughs> and started hanging out with Kids that had been church their whole with life. With real Christians. With real <laughs> career Christians. And, I mean, missionary kids and pastor kids and people that were... And, and I began to question, am I qualified? That's why I went to law school. The only reason I went to law school was because I knew lawyers were all reprobates. 
I didn't want to go to seminary. That had been my plan all along. I got a degree in ancient Greek. I mean, I, you know, a, a double degree at Baylor. And, and yet I graduated from Baylor and said, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Because I hung out with career Christians for four years at Baylor University. And I began to question, can God use me? And he took me through a lot of processes to come back around and say, I called you because of that. To understand, and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what this would look like someday. I had none of that in my mind. Those career Christians I grew up with, that I went to college with could not have done what we are doing. And by the way, most of them are not in ministry anymore. Well, and that's true. Only one out of ten, they say, of us are, that start ministry are going to end it. They're going to retire in the ministry. And I'm just stubborn enough, by darn, I'm going to do it. <laughs> He's not lying. Yep. So I never even felt, I never felt disqualified. In fact, I was so excited about my story that I could tell where I had been and that Christ had changed me. But I began to understand when I told that story openly at Baylor University, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't really a great thing. Well, we really feel sorry for you, James. Going, Why do you feel sorry for me, man? I'm alive. Well, because, you know, and, 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 and so I began to, I began to internalize all of that stuff. Please do not let career Christians make you feel you're disqualified because of your past. We got, a, we got three minutes. I know. Okay, let me do this very quick. The second thing you do, you confess it. The second thing you do is you cover it with forgiveness. You see, what qualifies the unqualifies is nothing but the forgiveness of God. Now, let me give you the truth. When, when we uncover our sin with confession, which is what he just talked about, God then covers it with forgiveness. Mm. And until we have uncovered our sin, our past with confession, it can't be covered in forgiveness. Until we uncover it, God cannot cover it. But when God covers our sin, listen folks, he qualifies us. It is God who qualifies. It is not me who qualifies myself to be used by him for whatever it is. I cannot do that. I'm still a sinner. I'm still going to need to confess. I do not qualify myself for God's call. He qualifies me. He qualifies you. Psalm 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How is your sin covered? It's when you first uncovered it inwardly, outwardly, and upwardly. Then God says, now I will cover it with forgiveness. Isn't that great? So good. You see, Moses felt disqualified because of his past, and it was that very thing that was going to qualify him to do what God wanted him to do, because he needed to go back to Pharaoh so Pharaoh could see this is a different man. He needed to go to the Hebrew people, and, and so they could see he was a different man because it was of God. This is the vertical horizontal principle. Episode. It is the vertical horizontal if principle. There's the so many things. Work, then God won't do the vertical work. Now, this is why James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Mm. In our pride, we don't want to uncover our past. We don't want to uncover our past of yesterday or of even 20 years oftentimes. And so it says God opposes us, but it says he gives grace to the humble. In other words, when I am willing to uncover my past, then God covers it with his forgiveness, and that is the flow of grace. Grace is held back by my pride. That's right. Grace flows when I uncover that which I do not want others to know. In him, we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his glory and his grace. So here it is. We confess it inwardly, outwardly, upward. We cover it with the forgiveness of God. And then finally, and I'll wrap it up in, in a statement. Okay. We change it with grace. Change it with grace. Grace then becomes the agent that brings actual change in my life. Grace says you don't need to be ashamed. No. So I'm going to just close with this. I'm going to just say this. I had a, a lot of other things on here. We have right now the availability to begin a biblical process to work through your past in a freedom group. They start in February. If you have felt the Holy Spirit bring conviction to your life this morning and you know there is something there that you need to deal with, do not harden your heart, as the scripture says, but embrace the suck. (laughs) Sign up. It's available right now. I started to wear that hat this morning. You should have. Do it. Sign up. That's all I'm going to say. I've never met someone who regretted it. I've met dozens of people in this room, by the way, including this guy, who have seen incredible change come through that process. Change that would not have come had I not been in that process. You know, I had the opportunity, I had the privilege this week of doing a webinar. Covenant Eyes, uh, an international ministry, uh, invited me to do a webinar. They had over 1,600 pastors from around the world that were signed into that webinar. I got to talk to them for 30 minutes and I got to answer their questions for 30 minutes. And it was like, I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I'm so thankful for the reach of Covenant Eyes to be able to bring together pastors who are willing to talk about this, this kind of thing. And specifically, it was about pornography, but it was also about how the church can become a hospital. And, 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 and every time I do that, whether it's five pastors or 50 or 1,600 as it was this last week, I'm amazed at how many don't understand that concept of the church being a hospital of being, having to be a safe place where people can let go, of their let go can confess inwardly, outwardly, upwardly. and upwardly, and can walk in grace and then can also be redeemed by that grace, like what he's talking about, to be used of God. Yeah. Your greatest asset is your greatest failure when it's confessed, when it's covered, and when transformation is taking place. That's why Moses was qualified. That's why Moses' past did not qualify him. He, God could have called anybody. And that's why the foolish confounds the wise. Yeah. Because the wise look at it and go, I don't know what to do with this. I can't explain this. And folks, we are coming out of a period of time with the pandemic, with the, the vitriol of the election, with everything that is encompassing not only our country but our globe, where people need a hospital. Yep. A spiritual hospital, an emotional hospital. We have an opportunity. But some of us are going to have to get off the, the, the back row. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not insulting. These are really good back row people. Love you to death. You're servants of God. Uh, I was going to say, they're all like real solid, actually. Yeah, I actually, they, they really are. are. Uh, they're back there to get some of you if you try to run out. Exactly. That's what we put our bed. But we've got to rise up. We have been devastated our church has, as every church has, and our culture's been devastated. It is, we have to be there. We have to be ready as they come out of this thing and are dying inside and need help, hope, and healing. 
we got to get with it. It isn't enough just to talk about this, folks. We're fixing to face the opportunity, the opportunity for ministry of our lifetime right now is coming upon us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the simplicity of the message that our past does not disqualify us. We disqualify ourselves when we're unwilling to allow you to cover it, to cleanse it, and to move us and empower us. Thank you for these people. Thank you for the groups that are coming up. Lord, I pray that you'll fill them up with people mm-hmm. who will be able to begin to be set free from the fear about their past. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless y'all. Children and youth start second service. So let's go.